Welcome to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. This week, turmoil in Great Britain. This trust, the now former British Prime Minister, came out in front of 10 Downing Street to address the nation, to tell them that she has resigned. She said she has informed uh, His Majesty the King. We'll get the latest from London, plus protecting abortion access here in Washington and the president's efforts across the country. The deficit has been cut in half, according to the latest numbers, but is that likely to help Democrats in the midterm elections next month? It's Russia versus Ukraine in a fight over pollution, of all things. Tim Iman makes another appearance in court over his alleged financial misdealings. And how human excrement has become the weapon of choice for one local politician's opponents. All of that coming up this hour, but we begin with the fight for abortion rights here in Washington. On Friday, Governor Inslee and other Democratic leaders announced a push for a constitutional amendment that would guarantee the right to get an abortion here in the Evergreen State. Joining us now is Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris, and what did the governor have to say? Well, the governor said it was necessary to make it a state constitutional amendment, even though the voters have already approved abortion rights protections twice, because he says this faces a challenge every day, every year from Republicans. In fact, he cited that Republicans have introduced 40 different bills trying to ban abortion here in Washington. So they're taking it to that level, trying to make it a state constitutional amendment. And that's not the only thing they introduced at this event. But the thing that I keep thinking about here, Jeff, is that it takes a two-thirds majority to pass a constitutional amendment. And here in Washington, they don't have supermajority for the Democrats. So that means they're going to need some Republicans to get on board. You and I both pay attention to Olympia quite frequently and quite carefully. I mean, what do you think the odds are of them getting enough Republicans to get a two-thirds majority to amend the state constitution? Well, I think they might be able to carry that in the House. In the Senate might be a, a, a tougher road to hoe. But keep in mind, too, Republicans in Washington state, particularly Western Washington Republicans, are very different than Republicans from the eastern side of the state or Republicans in general. You have a lot of moderate Republicans that serve the outlying suburban districts. In the, in the Seattle area. Yes, so it is certainly possible. I personally think it's kind of a tall order that it's actually going to happen. But that's not all they have on their agenda. And these other things they want to introduce as legislation, which does not require a supermajority. One of the big things here is protection of your data. Because apparently, in states where there are abortion bans, these uh, lawmakers there and law enforcement there can actually look at your online searches because that stuff is collected uh, by companies like Google. It's not necessarily protected. It can be bought and sold. And so not only uh, if they look at women who are seeking abortion services here in Washington and find that information in their searches, can they bring criminal cases, but it's also possible that if somebody here in Washington is doing something that violates their law, the way Democratic lawmakers paint that picture, people from other states could raise an issue with it. And it could mean criminal charges in other states for people here in Washington. So they are very interested in protecting people's privacy. They want to make it so your information and your data can't be collected without your consent. They want to make it completely illegal 
for things like your online searches to be bought and sold. So it's a, a big issue that they're working on there, and they uh, have big plans for the legislative session in Olympia this January. Well, I think the case in point is Texas. They have tried to pass a number of laws to ban uh, women from traveling outside of Texas to states like Washington to get an abortion. Uh, there's also been talk of using, and, and this I don't know if this is going to sound misogynistic because it's two guys talking about reproductive rights, but uh, period tracking apps that women will often use on their cell phones, that stuff can be subpoenaed because under Texas law, it is a crime. It is akin to murder, an abortion is, and they can do, as with any other murder investigation, subpoena all that information. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, even though we are two gentlemen talking about this and trying to be as careful and sensitive about the issue as we can, that was brought up by some of the female lawmakers that were at this event. They specifically pointed to taking a look at the data inside these menstrual cycle tracking apps. And if you are particularly late or if you are a woman who has had a miscarriage, those kinds of things can be used against you in places like Texas. And that's the goal here is that they want to protect women, especially those in other states who want to come to places where abortion is still legal, like Washington state, and take advantage of those services. Now, at the same time, Governor Inslee also talked about the other bill that they want to introduce, and that's to make Washington an abortion sanctuary state. So that if women come here and seek abortion services, nobody in the state cooperates with them uh, with any outside law enforcement investigation from another state involving a woman who travels here for abortion or any other reproductive care services. That's very similar to what California and other states did in terms of not cooperating with uh, immigration and customs enforcement in terms of uh, trying to remove people who are in this country illegally. But it's different when you're talking about people right here in this country. I was thinking about it and I equated it to marijuana tourism. Okay, you've got people in states where cannabis is still clearly illegal, not even legal for medicinal use. And they go to a place like Washington because they want to engage in cannabis use while they're here in a place that it's legal. Can another state where you live then prosecute you for that? Well, if the logic on abortion services and seeking them in states where it's legal carries, then it would also carry over to cannabis. I can't imagine the, the cost and the effort to try to enforce these things because, uh, you know, it's it's just astronomical if they were to try to go after it. So the governor not only and the Democratic lawmakers not only want to make sure that that is in law, that there is no cooperation with any criminal investigations regarding abortion or reproductive care services from out of state. But he's already directed the state patrol not to cooperate if they are contacted by any out-of-state law enforcement agencies. So, Ryan, how have Republicans responded to this? Well, Jeff, I reached out to the Washington State Republican Party, which sent me a statement that reads, quote, Governor Inslee and the Democrats are desperate to stop losing voters due to their mismanagement of the economy and the rising crime caused by their poor policy decisions. Washington state law, twice decided by the voters of our state, already establishes 
legal abortions in our state up until viability, with the exceptions for the health of the mother. Now, they all are very clear on the Republican side to point out that they are focused on the economy, inflation, and crime and public safety, and they feel that Democrats should be doing the same rather than worrying about abortion. So all of this is going to begin in January when the new legislature reconvenes, but of course there is an election between now and then. Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris, thank you so much for your time and insight. Thank you, Jeff. Now we have to take another quick break, but when we come back, Governor Inslee may be able to push through abortion protections here in Washington, but nationwide, it's a much different story. We'll have that part of it when the Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelow. Well, we're just a few weeks out from the midterm elections, and President Biden has promised quick action on codifying Roe if Democrats keep control of Congress. However, that is a really high bar to clear. Joining me now is ABC's Andy Field from Washington, D.C., and a high bar to clear not only for the Democrats to maintain control of the House because all the polls indicate that the Republicans are likely to take over, but he's certainly not going to have 60 Democrats in the Senate. Yeah, that's a problem. He actually only needs to pick up eight seats in the Senate because there are two Republican women from Maine and Alaska who've already said, yes, they would vote to codify Roe versus Wade. So that means that if he gets all the Democrats and two of those Republicans, you only need to pick up eight seats to get over that 60 vote supermajority in the Senate, which, of course, that would defy all odds. An asteroid will hit the United States tomorrow. The odds are higher of that than picking up those eight seats in the Senate. So I'm not quite sure what the president's promising. Certainly, if he has enough of a Democratic majority and he can overrule Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, who both do not want to get rid of the filibuster, they could possibly do it that way by saying, okay, for this one thing, we're going to get rid of the filibuster. Of course, that just invites when Republicans get back in control of the Senate that they can do exactly the same thing on whatever they want to do, which is, of course, what they did uh, with Supreme Court justices when, uh, you know, this goes way back to when Democrats controlled the Senate and they were so frustrated uh, that President Obama was not getting any of his judicial nominations through a uh, through the Senate because Republicans kept blocking it in the minority that the Democrats said, OK, we're going to get rid of the filibuster for judicial nominees and and presidential appointees. Uh, And of course, Mitch McConnell said, you will rue the day that you do this. And of course, Democrats did rue the day because that's how we got this super uh, conservative Supreme Court with three picks under President Trump that Democrats could not stop with a supermajority because Republicans got rid of that filibuster. So is this really just campaigning? Is this seems like a bit of a desperate attempt to galvanize Democratic voters and in particular female voters? I Well, it certainly is an attempt to do that. I'm not sure how desperate it is. I think he's got those votes already. It's, it's trying to find people at the margins, uh, the independents and maybe Republican women who are saying, you know, if we vote for these guys, will we never have abortion rights in this country again? Remember, 14 states have literally stopped all abortion services since Roe versus Wade's uh, demise this summer, and that's only a couple of months. Near total ban, Alaska, Alabama, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia. Uh, Abortion providers have suspended services because they aren't confused about whether they'll go to jail in Wisconsin. And there's that six-week ban in place in Georgia. So 
this is a very serious issue for millions of women in this country. And it also looks like that Republicans on the other side of this are pushing, if they get a majority, to enact a nationwide ban on abortion. We certainly saw Senator Lindsey Graham push for that. Yeah, he's pushing for one, I think it's at 15 weeks. I, I may be wrong about that. It may be a little less than that, but certainly less restrictive than many of the states. I'm not sure if that would overrule those states, but whatever the case may be, this is a Republican, and of course all Republicans seem to have been singing the same mantra, which is this is a states' rights issue, each state should decide it, and now suddenly they're saying... No, it's not a states' right issue. It's a it's a federal issue, and we're going to step into it here. Well, there are two exceptions to that. As you mentioned, you've got Susan Collins in Maine and Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. Republicans said they want to codify Roe. That's true, uh, but they are they are few and far between in terms of Republicans who are saying this here. So uh, again, this is a, a promise that President Biden is making that his party will indeed do this if they get enough votes. The question is, how do they get enough votes? All right, ABC's Andy Field from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for your time and insight. All right, thank you. And as we head to the midterm elections, which are now less than three weeks away, Northwest News Radio's Manda Factor has a warning about election-related scams. The Better Business Bureau urges you to be cautious of campaign emails. Before you donate or give personal information, just research that organization that reached out and be wary of people who try to rush you to make that decision. The BBB's Logan Hickel tells Como TV criminals will often pretend to be affiliated with your party or candidate. And they might try to scam you over the phone by asking asking you to register to vote, even if you're already registered to vote. Or they might ask you, obviously, to donate money over the phone or answer survey questions that sometimes can give a little too much personal information. If you think you've been the target of an election-related scam, report it to the Secretary of State. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. And here in Seattle, a rise in crime and drug abuse brought out a lot of frustrated people to a town hall with a Seattle City Council member on Thursday. Come on, as Joel Moreno was there. Dozens joined Seattle City Councilmember Dan Strauss to talk about crime, addiction, and homelessness. Now the city budget should be spent to find solutions. It feels like we're asking for, for action plan, and it's a bunch of non-answer answers. There's no action plan. Strauss says he supports much of Mayor Bruce Harrell's proposed budget, but has his own priorities as well. My biggest ask is regarding child care. Homelessness weighed heavily on the conversation, and some community members acknowledged pockets of improvements. I see improvement in our parks, um, not necessarily Ballard Commons because it's been fenced off for months, but definitely Woodland Park, Green Lake. Joel Moreno of Como 4 reporting. We have to take another quick break, but a little bit later on, a political disaster in the UK. I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. When the Northwest Politicast returns in just a moment. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. While Ukraine continues to claw back land taken in the Russian invasion, those two nations are also fighting over who gets to claim a pollution statistic. It seems both Ukraine and Russia want to own the pollution from the Crimean Peninsula. Michael Birnbaum is covering for the Washington Post and spoke with Northwest News Radio's Taylor Van Syce. You know, Michael, this seems like an oddly bureaucratic fight in a war that's seen mass graves and bombed hospitals. What's happening in Egypt next month that makes this matter? Well, so the whole world is gathering in the Egyptian resort city of Sharm el-Sheikh next month to talk about plans for how to reduce global warming and how to reduce carbon emissions. And as part of that, each country has to 
produce an accounting of its annual carbon emissions. That's something that Ukraine and Russia will both do, and they both want to claim the carbon emissions of Crimea. It's about establishing political legitimacy over Russia's annexation of of that peninsula and over the annexation of the other territories it's conquered in the last couple of months. UN member nations, they've already held votes that have condemned the current invasion, and the UN, like you note in your report, doesn't recognize Crimea as belonging to Russia. Would a Russian claim of pollution ownership really make much of a difference to the diplomats? Well, that's the thing. You know, the world of security is a little different from the world of climate. And there are a lot of people in the climate world, Ukrainian policymakers were telling me, including in in the United Nations, a lot of those UN policymakers who are focused on climate, who say, let's just set aside these political issues back and forth, the war. Let's just move forward and focus on emissions, and let's come up with the best global accounting of emissions that we can. Let's not worry too much about which country actually owns Crimea. Let's just try to be accurate. And Ukrainians say, no, that's that's not okay. That's actually Russia just trying to find whatever way it can to make the world community acknowledge that Crimea is part of Russia, which the Ukrainians don't want to do. So it's a lens for, for the Russians to establish dominion over Crimea in a new format where the normal alliances and, and affiliations are kind of scrambled. And Russia, they, they've been in Crimea for several years now. Have they tried this tactic before? Yeah, the dispute over Crimea has been going on for a few years. Um, they, Russia did indeed um, kind of invade and then annex Crimea in 2014. It was a prelude to the conflict that we see now. Essentially, this whole time they've been saying Ukraine is not a fully legitimate state. Ukraine has been oppressing Russian speakers in various parts of its territories. What the Ukrainians say is the way that the world community has handled this question about carbon emissions and other things wasn't pushing back hard enough against Russia and actually emboldened Russian President Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine again this year. So they say it's all part of the same uh, uh, conflict and and, and problem. And, And they say that sometimes these kinds of dry bureaucratic questions actually do lead to much more violent uh, reactions on the ground. We'll see what happens as the uh, UN is going to be meeting in Egypt next month. You can read more about this online at WashingtonPost.com, including the estimate on just how much carbon pollution has been generated so far by the war in Ukraine. Michael Birnbaum, online at WashingtonPost.com. That's Northwest News Radio's Taylor Van Syce. We have to take another quick break, but when we come back... We've had five years since the Brexit vote of things being very exciting in this country. And where, what does exciting get? You know, it gets you a hammered economy. It gets you prime ministers that have to have a contest with vegetables, at at the end of which the vegetable wins. When the Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelo. Well, Liz Truss did not outlast the head of lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) Here come Rivers uh, laughing on the other end of the line. Uh, I'll let you explain it to you before we uh, really get into the uh, details of the story here. What's this with Liz Truss and the head of lettuce? Well, the Brits have their own unique, very sarcastic sense of humor. And the Daily Star, one of the tabloids here, came forward and started a, a campaign, they go, they, they basically were mocking the uh, cognitive ability of Liz Truss and said, uh, had a picture of her next to a head of lettuce. And uh, which one will be going off sooner than the other? 
And uh, as it turned out today, they updated their site. They said, uh, the lettuce won. Truck is out of a job. Uh, so the lettuce outlasted the other lettuce who's been occupying 10 Downing Street. Boy, the uh, British press are absolutely ruthless. You don't see a whole lot of that here in the United States. But nevertheless, the British Prime Minister, uh, Liz Truss, as you said, after only about five or six weeks in office, and after that calamitous uh, effort to revamp the economy that sent the British markets into the tank, decided to resign. Yeah. So what exactly is going on here with the government? Well, we got a, another caretaker. She says she's going to hang around until a week from Friday. By then, there will be another person sitting in 10 Downing Street uh, that's going to be elected, if you will, by just the Conservative Party. The opposition Labor Party would love to have a general election. The Conservatives right now are saying, no, we don't want that. Why? Because it would be a total, total wipeout. Uh, the opposition would... Not, it wouldn't be a close race. Uh, they're 36 points up right now. When Liz Trust came in just uh, 44 days ago, the uh, Labor Party was up about 10 points, and she's uh, driven that into the ground now, a 36-point gap. So uh, they don't want to have a general election right now. They're going to have somebody else occupying 10 Downing Street. Uh, an election has to happen in two years, so maybe it's a bit of uh, do what you can to get that gap narrowed so you can have a respectable, if you will, opposition somewhere down the road. Um, it's, it's pretty bleak for the ruling conservatives right now. So for those who aren't too familiar with British politics, what exactly led up to this? Well, Liz Truss came in on the heels of, uh, of the ousting of Boris Johnson. She came in basically with, a, with an economic policy. Uh, she, she learns a couple of sound bites and is uh, deep as a puddle. But uh, she said basically... Um, I'm going to be uh, the person that gets this economy going through growing the economy. And how does she want to accomplish that? She said, well, in essence, all of the plans basically cut programs for the less well-off and giving tax breaks to the very ultra-wealthy here. The, her idea was that uh, you know, with more money at the top, it would trickle down to the little minions down below. Of course, that went over like a lead balloon. And uh, she had to fire then her Treasury Secretary, got a different guy in, uh, Jeremy Hunt. And he basically said, no, we're throwing out every one of these blanks. This is garbage. This is no good. Uh, and now the penny dropped with uh, Liz Trust. She said, uh, my mandate was to do what I wanted to do. You can't do any of this stuff now. So I'm going to step aside and let somebody else run the show. So, yeah, her, her name is pretty, pretty deep in the mud right now. And uh, she'll go down historically as one of the worst, if not the worst, prime ministers in the long history of Britain. And certainly one of the shortest serving prime ministers. Has there been any other that served less than 44 days? Oh, no. No, there was one that died in office. I think it was 119 days in office. Died in office. That was back in the 19th century. That kind of tells you... uh, she really wasn't up to scratch. So for followers of American politics, British politics, quite different. We have a presidential system here. It's a parliamentary system over in the UK. And that means that the next leader is not selected by the people, but rather by the ruling party. Well, it's, it's different. It just is different. Uh, which is better? Uh, neither one is better. They're just very, very different. Um, and there's a lot more wiggle room over here. Why? Because you still have the option of having snap general elections. Imagine that in America, whatever the current administration is going through economic problems or having a, a negative war. You might just say, you know what? We're not waiting. We're going to have an election next month and get try to try to change the course of uh, 
where the country's going. So, yeah, it's very, very different in that regard. So what are we expecting to see over the next couple of weeks? Because you mentioned she's not leaving office right away. You know, there takes time to, I guess, pack up the paper clips and, and, and move out of 10 Downing Street. Uh, what's going to yep. be happening in the interim? In the interim, well, she's going to hang around us again to the uh, 28th of, uh, of October. Nominations are open right now. So uh, various politicians can say, yep, I'm going forward to my pals to, uh, to uh, sign up to me. And uh, by Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern, We'll find out how many people, potentially, there could be three candidates that have over 100 nominations. If it turns out there's only one, by definition, we're going to have the new prime minister known on Monday. If there are two, those two will then go to the 170,000 card-holding Conservative Party members in up and down the country. How will they vote? They're just going to email. <laughs> this is not going to be a two-month operation. It's just going to be a couple of days. Put your vote in, we'll tally it up, and we'll tell you who's the new boss, 10 down the street on Friday. Without question, it's going to be a member of the Conservative Party that's that's going to be the next British Prime Minister, but how different are those policies going to be from Liz Truss? Because, I mean, parties are held together by common beliefs. Well, it's a very divided uh, party, just as the Labour Party, opposition Labour Party, there's fissures in that, too, of a different dimension. Just like the Democratic Party has different strands, the Republican Party has different, different strands. Trying to find a unifying character is, uh, is the holy grail right now this weekend here in the UK. Some say, potentially, it could be Boris Johnson making a comeback. Wait and see. We'll look Monday and see what names are in the running and see how many votes they get, and uh, we go from there. But yeah, potentially, we could have one heck of a comeback for, uh, for Boris. How's the British populace reacting to all of this? Because you had the resignation of Boris Johnson, then you had the death of the yep. Queen, then you had the resignation of Liz Truss, Boris Johnson may be coming back, plus around the corner in the next yep. couple of months you're going to have the coronation of the new king. I mean, there's a lot of turmoil yep. in the UK. Yeah, there is. There certainly is. You know, it is almost farcical in a sense. There's been so many memes on social media, derogatory, in the direction of Liz Truss, who, as I say, really did not have the ability to uh, to be a prime minister. But put that to the side. It's, it's not farcical because of her policy. The pound tanked. We had the Bank of England having to step in to shore up a number of pension fund operations because they were worried that they wouldn't have enough money to pay out people. You've got people that have mortgages right now because of Liz Trust. They're going to be spending potentially three, four, five hundred dollars more a month because of her, if you will, very radical economic policies. The scent of Liz Trust will linger for many people for many, many years to come, long after those 40, 44 days in office are behind her. She's really screwed things up for the average person. Very, very badly here. And one thing that's been said, you know, in sports context, they want the Brits where you don't have a killer's instinct. They do this time. It's like, don't go away mad, just go away. Get out of here. Let somebody else run the show. ABC's Tom Rivers from London. Thank you so much for your time and insight. Take care. We have to take another quick break, but when we come back, the federal deficit has been cut in half, and who is leaving who on a local politician's doorstep? when the Northwest Politicast continues in just a moment.
Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. Here's Greg Herschelt in Manda Factor. Looks like former Vice President Mike Pence is hinting at a possible run for president in 2024. During an appearance at Georgetown University yesterday, Pence was asked if he would vote for former President Trump in the next election. Pence said, quote, there might be somebody else I prefer more. And Pence was also asked about the announcement yesterday by President Joe Biden that he's going to release another 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's stockpile. Pence says that's a sign that the Biden energy policies have failed. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve exists for national security. ABC's Karen Travers is with us on our Northwest Newsline from the White House this morning. Tell us more about what happened yesterday, Karen. Yeah, you know, the president announced that he's releasing these 15 million barrels of oil. It's the last batch of the 180 million that he had authorized back in the spring. And the president took some questions, uh, including about the politics of it, because Republicans are saying that this is not a political emergency. And that's what the president is using this for, that this is all about midterm campaigning. And, you know, the president's responding by saying, where have Republicans been? This is not something new. He's been doing this for several months, and he's doing this in order to help American consumers. He's trying to bring down gas prices. The big question, you know, we asked this yesterday at the White House briefing is, when can Americans see an impact? What will actually be the difference at the gas pump? And the White House couldn't say uh, in terms of when this 15 million barrel release will make a difference, but did say that for the last couple of months, Americans have felt the impact of the release so far from the SPR because gas prices haven't gone up even more than they already have. Uh, The president also said that he's considering another release of oil from the SPR, maybe in the winter months, depending on where gas prices are and where the global markets are. He also said that the administration is looking to replenish what has been taken out, but looking to do that once the price of a barrel of oil goes down to about $70 Right now, it's $83. Karen, today for the president, it's on the road Mm -hmm. to a battleground state. The critical state of Pennsylvania. First, he's going to travel to Pittsburgh, where he is going to be talking about infrastructure, repairing bridges and roads. And he is actually appearing with a candidate. He'll be with John Fetterman, who is the Democratic candidate for that open Senate seat there. It's rare for the president to actually campaign with candidates who are locked in tight races. But John Fetterman will appear with uh, Joe Biden today in Pittsburgh, a very critical part of that state. The president then will travel on to Philadelphia, where he will raise some money for John Fetterman at a big Democratic fundraiser. Karen, thanks for the update. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers, we've been talking about the gas prices, and in our state this morning, we're seeing the evidence that prices continue to drop. GasBuddy.com has the average price in Washington at five ten a gallon, and that's 23 cents below where it was just a week ago. That's Greg Herschel in Mandifactor talking with ABC's Karen Travers. But before we can think of 2024, we have to think about 2022. And election day for the midterms is less than three weeks away. President Joe Biden looking for any positive news he can find amid deep concern over the economy. This week, the president touted his student loan forgiveness plan. Earn under 125 grand, you get up to $10,000 knocked off the debt. And if you earn under 125 grand, you receive a Pell Grant, you get a 20,000 bucks knocked off. And he's contrasting that with Republicans on the federal deficit. The Republican plan would add about $3 trillion to the deficit. $3 trillion. That's their plan. That's what they did under my predecessor, and that's what they intend to do again. Adding another $3 trillion to the deficit is reckless, it's irresponsible, 
and it would make inflation worse. And Elizabeth Schulze is covering for ABC News, and he spoke with Northwest News Radio's Bill O'Neill. Elizabeth, the president seemingly recognizes how the American people feel about his handling of the economy. We saw that when he talked about gas prices earlier this week. Now he's making his case when it comes to reducing the federal deficit. That's exactly right. The president is touting a drop in the federal budget deficit as he's trying to shift this narrative around his handling of the economy. So today he came out and highlighted new data from the Treasury Department that showed that the deficit dropped by $1.4 trillion, which he says is the biggest decline on record in the 2022 fiscal year, essentially trying to say, look, we are being fiscally responsible here and trying to actually attack Republicans who he says voted against his plans like the Inflation Reduction Act, which do take the deficit into account. Of course, it's important to remember this is coming from an extremely high level of government spending. So that drop, a lot of it is accounted for and just that a lot of that spending kind of expired. But this is absolutely right. The president's way of trying to show that he is taking on a stronger way of handling the economy and those inflation concerns, too. Of course, the federal budget deficit's always a concern for a lot of people. But is this the kind of issue that will really move the needle for voters who are you know, worried about inflation and the greater economy as a whole? It's a great point, because if you think about, sure, the, de- the deficit drops, but we're still at a $1.4 trillion budget deficit. People who are worried about this are still going to see that number and probably have some concerns. And Perhaps rightfully so. That's one of the higher numbers that we've seen in history. A lot of economists I talk to say, look, it's right that deficit dropped, but we're still about 40% higher in a deficit than we were before the pandemic. So if this is something you're thinking about when you go to the polls and voting on, not sure that this number is going to be enough to move the needle for you. Certainly the, the question that the White House is facing and one of the narratives that Democrats are having a hard time fighting back against is the fact that they did pass an additional nearly $2 trillion in spending in 2021. A lot of concerns about how that led to the inflation that we are seeing right now. And that's something that they are trying to push back against. But so far, Republicans really dominating that narrative. Amid all of this, the president has gone as far as to predict his party will recapture momentum among voters before Election Day. He absolutely is doing whatever he can. You know, notably, he hasn't kind of taken the same campaigning approach as former President Trump took with those big rallies, or even former President Obama did, for that matter, President instead taking a speaking from the White House, trying to talk about the economy. As you note, the gas prices this week today was the deficit. Right now, the president earlier also the president is speaking about student loan debt. So trying to capitalize on the legislation that he has passed and the actions that his administration has taken, both in, in executive actions and in Congress, uh, while trying to kind of give the Democratic candidates some leeway who maybe don't want to associate with him, who want to focus on their own races and the issues at home not kind of pushing to be seen with them if he thinks that they might be alive, if he thinks he might be a liability because of some of his approval ratings, especially around the economy. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze with us on the Northwest Newsline. That's Northwest News Radio's Bill O'Neill. To Washington state politics, anti-tax activist Tim Iman was in court again this week, appealing a finding that he violated campaign finance laws. In a bench trial, a judge found Iman had repeatedly violated the campaign finance laws of the state by misusing political donations for personal gain. But through his attorney, Richard Sanders, Iman is appealing. If this statute is properly applied, the trial court must be reversed without reaching the constitutional issues we've raised because Mr. Iman did not violate the statute. His argument is that Iman was soliciting personal donations as well as campaign contributions. But Assistant Attorney General Paul Crisali says Iman fudged the numbers, mixed campaign and personal funds, and failed to report the contributions to the Public Disclosure Commission. Iman used loans between different organizations to create a shell game where he could hide the reports and conceal the donations while meanwhile personally benefiting. 
Iman is already barred from being a campaign treasurer due to past violations. Now, it's unclear on when the appellate court might rule, but in the meantime, Iman continues to solicit donations. Seattle City Councilwoman Shama Sawant says someone has been attacking her home in an especially unpleasant manner, and she wants the police to take the matter more seriously. We get that story from Northwest News Radio's Corwin Hake. In a letter to Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell published in the Seattle Times, Sawant says six times now bags of human excrement have been thrown into her yard most recently a week ago. Sawant says the attacks seem likely to be politically motivated. It's the sort of thing she and her council colleagues recently spoke out against when they passed a resolution against attacks on elected officials and people running for office, especially women of color. Threats to life and sexual violent language discourage people, especially women, from running in office and staying in office. That's Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda last month. Sawant has further irritated the police are not more thoroughly investigating the incidents. She tells the mayor SPD will not lab test the fecal matter or examine video evidence. In a statement to Northwest News Radio, SPD says the department continues to work to identify a man suspected of leaving the waste, adding it will follow available leads should new information arise. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. And that will do it for this episode of the Northwest Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Northwest News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and Puget Sound Now with Bill Swartz. All are available at nwnewsradio.com or on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Podula. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.